From Tally to Cali, it's time to wake up. Warchant.com is your ultimate seminal sports source. And this is Wake Up Warchant, presented by Corner Pocket Bar and Grill. One more, Now here's Warchant.com's ass on Hunch of Andy and Corey Clark. Wake up! What is up, everybody? It's Wake Up War Champ presented by Corner Pocket Bar and Grill. Coming up on today's show, a hodgepodge of stuff. We talk about whether the playoff is already affecting the way we look at the upcoming schedule. We talk about legacies, sunshine laws, and Michael Lanks is here to talk recruiting, everybody. Wake Up War Champ presented by Corner Pocket Bar and Grill, Tallahassee, Florida, cptallybar.com. That is the website, 2475 Appalachian Parkway. Physical address, everybody. Monday's lunch special from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., only $8.99 is a delicious, made-to-order, half-pound, all-black Angus beef burger. Comes with a side dish of your choice. Lots of great options. That include straight fries or curly fries, onion rings, potato salad, coleslaw, broccoli, side salad, tear tots, or freshly cooked potato chips. You also get lettuce, tomato, onion, and pickle on that burger of yours. Usually $12.99, but Bill's like, let the people have burgers on Mondays. I'll make it $8.99. Take advantage. Corner Pocket Bar and Grill. Delicious lunch specials every day of the week. Everything on the menu is great and great things going on throughout the week. Tomorrow, trivia night. Corey, will you be there on Tuesday uh, throwing your oh, weight yeah. around? Yeah, of course I will. Of course okay. I will. Come on. If I'm in town, I'm at trivia at Corner Pocket on Tuesdays, gang. Let's go. All right. You heard it here first, everybody. Go hang out with the uh, old sea dog, Corey Clark. War or- Champ Bogo. <laughs> That's, yeah. That's coming up maybe 20 minutes from now. Hopefully, you should be <laughs> kind right, of do cool. that part of the show. Uh, in case you forgot, uh, warchant.com, ultimate symbol sports source, five-star rating and review on the Apple podcast side of things. Thumbs up if you're listening to us on YouTube. We certainly would appreciate it. Recording this one a little bit earlier than usual. Uh, but, uh, Corey, how was your weekend? How'd it go up until the point that you and I started talking and doing the show? Uh, it was uh, it was good. Went out with some friends on Saturday night. Uh, Chris and Lauren, friends of the show. Oh, uh, yes. Went out with Stephanie, uh, saw some live music, had a nice dinner. It was, it was a good time, man. It was a good time. How was your weekend? It was good. Very, uh, very laid back. Just did some stuff around the house. Finally getting my office slash guest room kind of in order. It's had this full size bed in it for all my friends to like crash when they come up here for games, but they've, they've never come up for any games. So I'm like, I need to get rid of this thing. Uh, so finally cleared out the office, watch a bunch of football, um, basketball, really mainly before we talked, okay. uh, yeah. my Lakers cashed out a little too early on a game. I, I caught them. Like so, Ira's a Ira's very much a moralist when it comes to uh, gambling, which is great. Like you know, these lines are handicapped and, and they're they're mulled over and they're fine tuned to a certain degree. That like, you know, there's you know there's there's like a, a gentleman sort of uh, you know part of this thing of of gaming and gambling. Like you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna put the line at this beforehand, and this is what it's gonna be, and you need to you need to bet accordingly. I'm very much alive betting guy so yeah. the, the lakers were down by like six with four minutes left and i think i had like five to one odds for the lakers to come back and win the game and i'm like you know what i think they're gonna do it uh they they owe me they've i've lost so much money betting on the on the knolls and, and the lakers here right but anyhow uh they're up like five points with like you know 30 seconds left goes overtime they're up like five with a minute and a half left in the first overtime then it goes to second overtime and I'm just like, I need to cash out. Let me see if they're going to offer me a way out of this. And it, it, it was like a, a two and a half, one payout. I'm like, I'll take oh, it. Oh, man. You should have hung with it. I know. Hang with them. I'm a coward. I'm a coward. Yeah. 
But yeah, yeah that was uh, the gist of the weekend here over at the Midtown offices. Uh, getting 1% better, trying at least. Great. Corey, great. looking at everybody talking about the schedule, I think everyone's had a, some time to digest it. You wrote a great column on it. Uh, shout out to whoever from our social account tweeted, uh, find you somebody that loves you as much as Corey loves this upcoming schedule. Mm. Some people out there nitpicking at it, but I think on the whole, you know, everyone's come to sort of align with what you and I think about this schedule and the way it kind of laid out in terms of the, you know, the way it's spread out in terms of the level of competition, plus all the bye weeks you have. But are we already starting to see this 12 team playoff effect, Corey? Because a lot of people seem okay with 10 and 2. How much of people going and saying, all right, I see 9 and 3, 10 and 2, make it into the playoff? How, how much of like being comfortable saying two losses that your favorite team is going to have this early in the game is a product of either realizing all the, the roster overturn and, and churn that's happening, or is a lot of it this 12 team playoff where you're like, I will resign myself to two losses because I know that'll still get us in the playoff, which is ultimately where you want to be. I think it's more of the former. I, I, I don't know that it has. I don't think any of us have really come to grips with what the 12 team playoff season will feel like. Um, I mean, we, we can guess what it's going to feel like. We have a good guess. Um, but until we live it, we don't really know. Like, are you like if Florida State loses to Clemson 38 to 35 in a great game and they're both top five teams, is it going to sting less to the point where you're like, ah, oh, man, that's a bummer. But where are we going? Where are we going to drink? Where, where are we going to hang out? Yep. Like, what? Let, oh, man, that wasn't that an awesome game? Can't wait to see him do it again. And like, are they going to hurt that much less? Uh, because they might. I mean, a lot of people listening to this are hardcore NFL fans, too. And you're mad when you see your team lose a game in October. For about 20 minutes, maybe it sticks with you. I feel like college games, as we've grown up with them, those losses stick with you. Well, man, they stick with you for decades. Mm. Some of these awful losses. The wide rights, we'll never forget. If it was a 12-team playoff in 91, that would be a footnote. Yeah, people if you go and win a national win. title after you lose those games, like Alabama yeah, and yeah, Georgia. They, they don't even matter. Yeah, yeah. like the like kick six and 13 is the, yeah. always the example I use. Like if that had been played the very next year, Alabama fans wouldn't have been upset at all. They'd be like, well, we'll still be in the playoff. Mm. You know, well, if that, was, if that had happened in 14 instead of 13, the reason it was so massive and immense was because it knocked Alabama out of the playoff completely. They could not win the national championship because of a missed field goal that was crazily run back for a touchdown. So I think when people are talking about going 10 and 2, but all that being said, I think people talking about going 10 and 2 and uh, like pontificating about that and how they'd be okay with it, I think it's more about losing so much. Like you've lost so all almost mm. all of your offensive production is gone. So much of your defensive production is gone. And so if you can get back to 10 and 9 wins, 10 wins, in what this feels like has always felt like a gap year, I think people would be very, very, uh, I, uh, very, very okay is a dumb phrase, but no. I do think they'd be okay with a uh, two or three loss season. No. You know, I don't two want more to, than three, obviously. Right. Uh, I don't want to use the word fair either, but is it a accurate or a reasonable sort of footnote to look back on the way the the thirteen and fourteen teams played out? And to where Florida State is now, I mean, obviously you didn't win the national title, but just in terms of the inevitability, because it felt like after 13 and 14, after 13, really, that this thing was on track and was just going to be on autopilot. And, and you're pretty much going to compete for national titles every single year. You're going to be making it to the playoff. That, of course, did not happen under Jimbo Fisher, but you still 
were in that 10 to two range in the regular season, you would have been in a 12 team playoff. Um, but how much of, of what happened those years, is there any parallel running now? The one thing that we cannot really, we couldn't ever put a value on was, was the personal life of Jimbo Fisher and how much that affected things. But I'm just kind of curious to see everybody resign themselves to two losses because it, you know, I thought everybody would be on that sort of same sort of inevitability arc that we were those, you know, 10 years ago where it felt like this coaching staff has proven themselves in terms of just being so prepared for games, having great awareness in game coaching management that you just like the way that line up with anybody they're going to play in this conference. Uh, is there any parallels between where Florida State was 10 years ago to where they're at now that maybe they'll be able to actually capitalize and sustain that sort of run? Or are they going to be on that 10 and two kind of arc, which would have been, you know, great had there been a 12 team playoff 10 years ago? Yeah, I don't know. We'll see, right? That's the answer you were looking for. Next question. Uh, no, I, you know, I um, I think with Jimbo, the difference to me li- living through both of th- those eras, that hit the beginning of his era and then this era with, with Norvell, is that Jimbo had much more benefit of the doubt when it came to his roster makeup. You knew by the recruiting rankings, number one, and the fact that he had been recruiting at that level, but well before Florida State. He was, he was signing players and developing and evaluating players at an extremely high level when he was at Auburn and when he was at LSU. So you knew what he he could develop NFL players, lots of them, at all different positions. He was very, very good at that, had a great eye for it, um, and got him to campus. By hook or crook, he got him to campus. So he had much more benefit of the doubt that, like, okay, Jameis and Cameron Irving and LaMarcus and Telvin, they're all leaving, but this next wave of dudes – is going to be as good, or hopefully just as good, maybe not as Jameis, but he's got the next crop of future NFL guys coming. Now, that didn't play out that way, clearly, but we thought it was going to. Like, we thought, uh, you know, the backups, and, you know, we always made that, you know, the backups on the 13 team would have finished third in the ACC that year, hmm. the second string of Florida State. Well, that's not true. The top-end talent was incredible. The guys coming behind them were pretty good, but not special. So that we thought it was Alabama, right? We thought it was Alabama East. Yeah, kept in all the five-star wide receivers. You had Travis Rudolph. You had Ermon Lane. Like yeah. it's going to be fine, and it wasn't. Didn't quite work out that way. George Campbell, like all yeah. these guys that were supposed to be great, that just weren't. Travis Rudolph was the best of that bunch by a long shot, but he still wasn't. Uh, it wasn't Rashad know, or Kelvin. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't a five-star super duper guy. He didn't play out like that. He was a nice, solid four-star player. Had some great games. Uh, the bowl game against Houston. He had another. I think he had Syracuse. Two or three. He ate against yeah, Syracuse. Like, yeah, two two hundred yard games in his career. Two or yeah. three, crazily, and yeah. then other games he'd have two for twelve. Um, but yeah, so I, I Norvell hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt with his roster, uh, his roster build, his roster build building, because he How? Just, he just has it. I mean, the portal's different. And what I mean by that is. When the 14 team ended, when that 14 season was over, you knew you were losing so much. Florida State still started the season like number, I would guess, number eight in the country, number six in the country, because they had been recruiting at such a high, high level. That, and I'm talking about top three in the country every year, that it was like, okay, they're they're rebuilding, or they're reloading. Norvell has, hasn't proven he can do that yet. And like I said, Jimbo never proved it. Once that, once that wave left with Jameis – they went from championship contenders to ten win, ten and three team for the next what two years, and then he quit. So 
it's not like that proved out. I'm just saying that's what I thought we were going to see in 2015. I thought, okay, this thing is set for the long haul because of what he's been doing on the recruiting trail. Norvell has had top 15 classes, top 11 classes, not top three classes, if anything. If any of that made sense at all, that's why I think the, the difference is. But I also think there's a very good chance Norvell is going to have a better career here than Jimbo did. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. He he probably needs to win a championship to say that with certainty. But I think they're set up for a longer haul now that we have hindsight of what Jimbo's tenure ended up being. So, like, did you did you feel better about Matthew Thomas than you do, you know, Tomiwa Durojaye, like the guy from West Virginia? You know, because it, it, you're going with yes, like a five star. Really, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, well, because you saw flashes of that when when. Um, when he played, you saw flashes of of uh, greatness of, yeah. of greatness with Matthew Thomas. Like, oh my gosh, this guy is the fastest, one of the fastest guys on the team. So we like um, to take it, we'll we'll take flashes versus consistent production at this level. Well, but the West Virginia guy isn't the best example because he only played twenty snaps a game. Like, if you'd mm-hmm. asked me about the kid at Oregon State, okay, I would have had a different answer. Cione, he, uh, yeah. I lose. I, I can pronounce the last name. I just can't. I don't. I can't remember right now. Lola, Lola, Lay, Lola, Lola. Okay, there you go. All right. Uh-huh. Yeah. There. So I, I feel you, better buddy. about him because he's proven it. But again, I, I guess I think you, you just don't. Everything is an unknown. We trust that they brought in guys that are going to fit into the culture, and we know they brought in guys that have produced. At least some of these guys, half of the transfer portal guys, have produced at this level. The other half have not, and they're not. They're not surefire. I'm not saying that what Jim, the way Jimbo had set it up in 14 and 15, especially I, I think I keep thinking about 2015. Um, the the way that that and that I think that team started weren't they seven and zero before the Georgia Tech game? They start uh, up they were preseason number ten by the way, which I thought that I thought they were a lot higher than that, but they were preseason number ten that season, yeah. Which tells you a lot because when you look at that roster, other than Dalvin, there was really nothing proven at all. Like the quarterback was Everett Golson, I guess that's correct. correct. Okay, and they were six and zero going into Georgia Tech. Yeah, so they started that season six and zero, and when they're six and zero going to play Georgia Tech, who was horrible, that was their only ACC win of the year that year, was on the block kick. Um, you know, you're thinking, man, this guy might be the best coach in the country. Like they lost all that talent from last year. They're bringing in Everett Golson. He's not even playing that well. They're going to end up replacing him with Smag. And they're still sit, they're still going to go undefeated, or they're going to come close to going undefeated. And they kind of did. They they should have beaten Georgia Tech, obviously, and they were right in it with a really good Clemson team, number one Clemson. Clemson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the a week two weeks later, whatever it was. So they were they were very close to having a really good season, but you know the cracks started to show. Um, I don't I don't. But the the point being, he wasn't recruiting at the level we thought he was recruiting at, especially on the offensive line. Mm. And that's, you know, not that you asked this question, but I was thinking about that uh, today because I think they – didn't they get a commitment, another commitment from an offensive lineman? Jacob Rizzi from Harvard, dog. So he's got one year to play, right? Yes. I think. Um, it's like – I'm so, it's. I think it's enough of a question to, to ask Norvell the next time we get him, or Atkins, but Norvell especially is like they haven't – who was the last high school kid they signed at offensive line that started for them? Other than Robert Scott? No, I think Robert Scott's it, right? Yeah. What yeah, year I mean, was that? 2020, like the first year, yeah. 
they have not signed an offensive lineman in the last three classes. So 2021, 2022, and 2023, that now we go into the 24 season, they have not signed one kid from the offensive line classes in those years that has started a game for them. That's, I don't, not great, not great. But, they, but they get kids from the, the portals there, though, Corey, right? I mean, don't we? They we do, but I, again, they're they're getting, like, Jeremiah Byers isn't what we, he's a nice player. He's not a Marius pickup. Yeah, he's not who Georgia had. You know, you don't build great offensive lines like that. And, you know, part of it being they really like, you know, Robert Scott and Maurice Smith and Darius Washington. Those are homegrown guys. I get it. But you keep going and getting all these other offensive linemen from around the country. What's going on with the guys you're signing? Why aren't they developing enough that you don't have to go get a kid out of the portal? Why can't you develop guys here like you did with Robert Scott? Like, no, Robert Scott wasn't a highly coveted kid, is you know, he's coming out of high school, and he's the last one, and he was the first one you signed. You haven't – you haven't none of the guys of the last three years have been good enough in this coaching staff's mind, eyes, to start for their football team. Here we are going into year five. And I like Maurice Smith, and I like Robert Scott. Both of them have been hurt a lot. Robert Scott was hurt for most of this past year. They still didn't have anybody that started at his place that was one of their own high school recruits. It's, it's odd, right? It's not encouraging, I guess. Uh, That's, very so very trick-it-esque. Very trick-it-esque, right? And that was my parallel going back to the Jimbo years. He would get all these these high recruiting rankings, but they were inflated because he was stuffing them with great defensive backs and great, uh, you know, at least we thought, great high school receivers or running backs. But the offensive linemen, they missed on so many of those guys. And I just and look, you're it's a better world now where if you do miss on these guys you're signing out of high school, you can go get stopgap guys, Casey Roddicks, Jeremiah Byers, Jazz and Turnantines. You can go get those guys to to play for you and play pretty well for you. But you're never gonna have I don't think you're ever gonna have a great, great offensive line if you're not building from within. And so far, this staff has accomplished almost everything you could have dreamed of when they started in 2020. The one thing they have not done a good job of, in my opinion, is developing high school offensive talent or high offensive linemen because, look, they have not had any new additions to that line that have not come from the portal since 2020. Mm. He's right, everybody. 2021, they recruited Rod Orr and Bryson Estes or has since left the program. Gibbons was the portal guy they grabbed, and they got two years out of him. Uh, then in 2022, Julian Armella, Jalen Early, Richardson, Daughtry Richardson, who's no longer with the program, Quayshon Sapp, who's no longer with the program, Antavius Woody, who's no longer with the program, Kaniah Charlton, who's no longer with the program. They did get Demetri Emanuel and two years out of him and Caden Lyles that year. Uh, and then this past season, they had Simmons, Lucas Simmons, who I guess – didn't have maybe was it eligible for half the season or most of it, uh, and then Andre Otto. So, well, I think he was banged up, wasn't he, Lucas? No, I think it was some sort of class uh, trend, oh. you know, like the, the oh, grades, okay. you know, not the NCAA clearinghouse, but I guess that kind of stuff or whatever. I think, uh, to my understanding, so yeah, that twenty-two class, which that was everyone felt so good about, because like Armella and Early and Richardson and Sapp and Woody and Charles, you know, like all right, man, like. They'll hit on at least three of those guys. Well, uh, and I'm not giving up on Armella and Early. Like, yeah, uh, but four of the guys are gone. You know, like that's not great. 
So yeah, because point. you, I mean, the, it, but isn't that, that's life, I guess, as college coaches now is that, you know, if you don't show these guys within two years that they're a part of the plan moving forward, they're going to go try to be the part of a plan somewhere else. And when you keep portaling over them, uh, that's what that's what happens. The attrition is the attrition is expected, but it's not expected to now go through. And, and look, I this is the I guess I, my point is this would be the year if you believed in Armella and if you believed in Early, they would be you you they would have a spot on this uh, in this line on this line right now. But how many guys have they brought in from the portal? Offensive line three, right? Three or four. The kid from Florida, the kid from Alabama, this kid from Harvard. Yeah. Um, you know, when you keep portaling this much, to me it makes it makes us think, man, you don't really like the guys that are on your roster that could fill in right there if if injuries were to happen. No. Um, that is the correct amount of guys that got out of the portal, by the way. Yeah, Richie Leonard, uh, Terrence Ferguson, and then Jacob Rizzi uh, from Harvard, who will be a – I think a summer enrollee because he's he's going to graduate. He wants to get that Harvard degree for some reason and then oh, come down. And he's going to tell us how much better he is than us. Unbelievable. That's You know how those Harvard folks are, everyone. Yeah, the worst. VineManager.com, promo code WORKCHAMPBOGO. Buy one item, get one of equal or lesser value for absolutely free. Maybe you don't like the delicious tangy taste of the vitamin energies. I don't know why you wouldn't, but mm, they also have it weird. in capsule form too, so you can just, you know – Put it in a bottle with you and carry it around and take a capsule and then get all the energy you want from it. And I'm literally about to do the workout one right now, Aslan, before go. I before I go to the uh, before I go to the gym. Sour apple? Yeah, of course. It'll mm, be dumb. Delicious. Delicious. What Corey's gonna get in his one little bottle of vitamin energy is two hundred and sixty milligrams of all natural caffeine, plus forty two milligrams of magnesium, ninety four milligrams of potassium. L-arginine, L-carnitine, beta-alanine, and several other vitamins and minerals that I cannot properly pronounce. But it's going to make them feel great. It's going to give them a pump. It's going to help them burn fat. It's going to help them have a great workout. Workout Plus. That's what it's called. Give it a shot, everybody. Try it. I think you'll like it. VitamInEnergy.com. Promo code Corey. Warchamp Bogo. All right, Corey. Um, we're going to have Michael Langston join us here shortly to talk about junior day and other things of that nature. Uh, but uh, a couple other things I'd written down on this little piece of paper in front of me to go over today. Uh, let's go to the message boards. Our guy, Mark, uh, not renegade express, but he posted a, a link to a, a Mike Bianchi story, which was just thoroughly just haphazardly destroyed and dunked upon because people just don't like Bianchi because he went to Florida and has been very anti FSU over the years. But it actually was, a, I thought, a fair article that took shots at both Florida State and Florida in relations to the Sunshine State laws that are kind of being circumvented by both institutions. I want to get your feeling on whether that's warranted or not. The, the beef with Florida, I guess, apparently was Matt Baker over at the Tampa Bay Times had submitted a request to get inf any information or any correspondence between the University of Florida and the NCAA infractions office regarding the Jaden Rashada commit uh, recruitment. Rather, he's now at Arizona State. He of the $13.5 million NIL deal that never happened. Mm. Um, apparently, Florida kind of, uh, you know, was nonplussed about it. I was like, hey, whatever, we'll, we'll see about it. We'll try to get it to you. Eventually, the Tampa Bay Times lawyers had to get involved so that they would submit the, you know, the notice of allegations they got from the NCAA. 
the knock on Florida State and Bianchi story is in regards to the private equity thing that we heard over the summer regarding maybe Florida State discussing with J.P. Morgan having uh, a private equity company help provide money to Florida State's athletic department, which would, I guess, the assumption was that it would go towards helping facilitate the buyout or in the exit mm. of Florida State leaving the ACC. I just wonder where do we where do we think the line is on some of this stuff? You got a little big J journalism still left in you there, um, but I think yeah. we all realize when it comes to local, state, federal government, there's always like a little bit of a shadowy element regards what they're telling us, and we're okay with that. Like we don't want to know all the ins and outs and intricacies. That's why we kind of vote some of these people in the office. You deal with it. I don't want to know what's going on. Um, but are we okay with not maybe knowing the ins and outs of what the athletic department is doing versus? some of these other things that the sunshine law applies to, because apparently Sportico had put in a request with Florida state uh, to get um, any email correspondence between the president of Florida state and one of the vice presidents mentioning JP Morgan or sixth street, who was the private equity firm uh, that would have probably been used in this situation. Uh, and they were Florida state replied all the time, let them know, Hey, it's going to take this amount of time for us to get it. It's going to cost this much money for us to give you the paperwork on it. But it's never ultimately materialized. But they were told, Sportico, by Florida State, that there were 1,100, 1,100 potential emails that might have fit within those parameters of the president and the vice president talking about J.P. Morgan or Sixth Street. Um, and it's now been you know six months almost of Sportico trying to get this kind of stuff. Do we need just to shut up and let the university do what they need to do that's in the best interest of them? Or is it fair to want some sunshine in these instances? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, you're, yeah, there are parts of me that are still very big capital J journalist and the sunshine laws are there for a reason. Florida state is a state institution. These are, these are theoretically tax dollars that pay these people. Um, that is our, those are as the public, those are our documents as much as they're their documents. Um, so yes, I'm all, if, if you, if you're dumb enough and I've always said this, that's why people need burner phones. Stephanie worked for the state government for 15 years. Um, she knew there was something she could not email. She did not want on her public email because it's all public. She knew, like, if she, I mean, not that she was emailing, you know, drug dealers or anything. You know what I mean? She wasn't doing anything nefarious. But if it was anything personal at all, she wouldn't do it on her work email because that's state property. This is state property. So I, I haven't read this story, so I'm not, I don't even want to really get into it much no. because I don't want to talk about something that I don't know. I mean, I know you guys are saying, well, that's never stopped you before. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm of the opinion if that's public record, and it is, and we live in the Sunshine State where the Sunshine Laws are, all these government documents are our documents, and we deserve to see them, then, yeah, if, you've been, if they've been requested and you were – you you sent it from a public email from your your Florida State email address, then yeah, that's public that's public domain. Uh, that's our that's our right to see it. And I would say that if that was Florida State, if it was Georgia, Florida, Harvard, is Harvard Harvard might be private. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So Miami is private. So they I don't I guess Miami wouldn't fall under the jurisdiction of Sunshine Laws because right, yeah. it's a private institution. Correct. Yeah, they're not because yeah, they're not so, taking yeah. public dollars. That's how it all works. Right. Like you take public yeah, money, yeah, exactly. then you have to. Respond to the public. You know, I'm not bothered by the way Florida State's handling handling it uh, because seemingly they they have been in contact with Sportico this entire time. Yeah, and if they if they just ignored it completely, yeah, 
I would have a real problem with that, but it sounds like they have been in communication with them. They have. Um, I don't but, know why it would take six months yeah, they're, to they're, do a they're search. S- they're but, stalling, but it's so you know, yes. like it's it's better than totally ignoring it. I was just blown away by the fact that there's a they admit again, like they admitted, like Florida State's like, yes, um you you want this request for any correspondence between our president and the vice president that's mentioning these keywords. There might be eleven hundred of them, actually. So let us get mm, back to you yeah. on this. That just makes me feel like uh, I don't know. Maybe that gives you a little more glimpse into just how urgent or maybe how real uh, the whole ACC exit thing is because they're clearly uh, exploring that option. But more than that, I was just kind of blown away by all the comments. Everyone was like, I guess maybe because it was Bianchi, maybe if like Ira had written this, people would have been like a little bit more of an open mind. But it wasn't like an anti-FSU thing because he was taking shots at Florida too. It's just kind of a little disheartening to see everybody respond to like, oh, this is, you know, this is a non-story. Why does anybody read anything this guy writes and clicks on it? It's like, well, if, if you read it, it's actually kind of fair to, to wonder why these things are not being followed through on. Uh, the Florida thing is bizarre, though, I, I think, because I almost can kind of agree that what is the NCAA, what does anything with the NCAA have to do with like a sunshine law? Like that's that we're not talking about, you know, money that's being spent by the university or uh, anything that has to deal with an actual employee of the university. It's it was a collective and a student athlete that's not even at their institution. So I guess I can kind of understand that. But apparently the Tampa Bay Times lawyers are like, nope. And then the Florida, you know, they back down. So, yeah, that's, that's yeah. The and, and, and look, I, I won't get on this uh, soapbox for more than 30 seconds, but it is uh, what what has happened. What has happened with the, uh, the distrust in the media and some of it is well earned is a really slippery slope for this country, man. We, we are losing newspapers um, very, very quickly. We lost Sports Illustrated for crying out loud. It's basically just uh, BuzzFeed now. <laughs> Um, it's it's insane what's happened to that magazine. That was great sports journalism. Um, we are losing great journalists in journalism, and man, that is scary. You need great journalism in this country. You don't need one-sided journalism, and I'm not talking about the talk shows on Fox or MSNBC. I'm talking about people um, shining light on corruption. Yeah, going to city hall meetings, the real thing. When that, yeah. but also just showing, shining light on corruption, man. That's what that's what great journalism is. If you've seen the movie Spotlight, if you've seen all the president's men and everything in between, none of that happens without great journalism. Um, think about that Catholic abuse scandal. That was that we found that out because of journalists. The Epstein they stuff, apparently. The thing. Epstein, the Epstein apparently stuff, was Miami was, Herald was like, "Hey, what's yeah. going on here?" All, there's been so much good that comes from this, and we are going to lose that. Uh, so the point being, these these laws matter, and they're there for a reason. Now, you know, there's a lot of things that aren't as superfluous as uh, Jalen Rashada's NIL deal. There's some really serious stuff that you want to know about, and great journalists get to that. Um, and, the, you know, so that's what I, I worry about as we lose so much trust in uh, the media, uh, the news media specifically, that – you're going to lose – corruption is going to run even more rampant than it has because there's going to be nobody there to shine light on it because there, there's not going to be any good journalists – there's not going to be many good journalists left. Not a great, so, what a not, great thought. Not money. It's not a lot of money in yeah. it, which doesn't help. Leave us with a great thing in mind here before we get Michael Langston on to talk about things. But, hey, uh, one of the other horrible things to talk about on sports radio, sports bo- uh, podcasts, which, by the way, Corey, I want to – I think we need to make like a, a category here. Like there needs to be – Podcasts, I think, and then I came up with this term myself. I'm going to patent it. Broad pods. Like, 
broadcasts. I think there's be podcasts and broad pods like you because I'm trying to get us interviews, everybody. OK, I'm trying to get us interviews for the Wake Up War Champ podcast. And I'm I'm just not a very I'm not a self promoter. I don't like being a self promoter. I don't like reaching out to people like, hey, will you come on to our podcast? It's you know, it's part of this. It's with this website. These are our numbers. We're better than everybody else. You should be on our show. We'll get you the most, you know, um, spotlight or what have you. You know, I'm, I don't like I don't I feel like that that's I would delete that if somebody sent that to me, you know, like, hey, Aslan, we're with the Michigan podcast and we're the number one Michigan podcast in the country and blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, whatever, get out of here. But like sometimes I feel you have to say that to differentiate yourself between all the other podcasts that maybe only 255 people download a month, you know? Um, so that's been sticking to my craw. But nonetheless, okay. try, trying right. to get you folks interviews so I don't go on rants like that and then have to talk about. Maybe one of the worst things in sports talk, which is legacy stuff, Corey. So as we oh, as we right. sit here and talk, I thought we were going to move into true crime. <laughs> I, I, what, how about true detective? There's some money in that. I don't There's like some money in that. Buddy. Why is true detective called true detective when these stories are clearly not based on anything in reality or based on any true stories? That's a good point, Aslan. It's a good point. That's like uh, terrible. I mean, yeah, it should just be called detective. I can't. Yeah. Made up. Made up detective. Yeah. Working on that. Workshopping it. But Bill Belichick. Is unemployed. Uh, you're getting paid, though, I think, right? I think he's getting paid still by Robert Kraft in New England. Probably, I would not, think, yeah. Yeah, my violin's not going to play too loud yeah. out there. But is he really going to feel the stink of the post? Like, will, how much of that is going to be part of the discussion around Bill Belichick? And I ask that because Nick Saban having retired, like, he preserved his legacy. Like he went out kind of close to being on top, not like Tom Osborne, who literally went out on top winning half that national title in 1997. Bobby's career being over as long as it has been over now. That's what makes me think about it because when, when, you know, mid two thousands, Bobby Bowden was probably considered maybe the best college coach ever. And I'm sure there's some people out there that still feel that way. I, I don't think he's the best coach ever. I think he's one of the best. He's probably yeah. on the Mount Rushmore. But when he's got the wins record, no matter what the NCAA wanted to do with it, you're just kind of thinking to yourself, yeah, I mean, like, no one's going to ever stick around at one program as long as he did and do what he did. And that's probably going to cement him as the best coach ever. Well, then Nick Saban comes around and does what Nick Saban does. And you're like, all right, well, that's probably the only thing that could have happened to to upseat or upend Bobby Bowden's claim to being the best. Is anybody really going to think about outside of maybe like the Florida State sphere? Do people talk about Bobby going out those last few years in mid-tier bowl games? I just feel like ultimately when you've created the breadth of work a Belichick, a Saban, or, or Bowden has done, as long as you don't have something like Joe Paterno off the field happening, that's gonna that'll ruin your legacy. I think yes. you know no no one's going to argue that Belichick isn't the best coach ever. Don journalism, got more by wins. the way. Uh, journalism exposed that, by the way. Just want to throw hey, that, throw that out there. Touche. The, the whole Joe Paterno. Yeah. Well, it wasn't. I I should say the Sandusky scandal, but right. Joe Paterno was certainly in the middle of it. Yeah, anyway, uh, so yeah, about about that. No, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, I, no. Yeah, actually, I did mean to interrupt you, but I didn't mean to keep to to throw you off the track. Did you have anything more? No, man. I just I feel like there's there's a certain level of greatness that you hit that like LeBron's probably experiencing it too. Like he's not going to be thought of as the best ever, but he can not make it to the NBA Finals the rest of his career. Doesn't dispute the fact he's the number two greatest player ever. You know, I just think yeah, you get to a certain yeah. level where these things don't matter. 
I, yeah, when it comes to Belichick or Bowden, yeah, I think Bowden now, when we're 15 years from his last season, um, which is crazy to say, that's crazy, it's been 15 years, um, you know, we, we remember the 90s. That's what he's remembered for. That's his legacy. You don't remember 30 to – I mean, we remember 30 to nothing because we're Florida State fans or we're Florida State broadcasters. We're, it's a Florida State podcast. But by and large, the overall sentiment is he was one of the best that's ever done it. That run was the – one of the best of all time, and he's looked upon very, very favorably. He did not retire in shame or scandal. Um, he just, you know, he wasn't as good as he was, and most people aren't. Belichick wasn't. I think the difference with Bowden, though, are other guys like Saban or Osborne or all these other great coaches. You know, Bow- especially college football, you can't be. It just the rules limit you to being tied to one person. Like, Bowden won with, what, 15 different quarterbacks. Hmm. He he won national championships with two different quarterbacks. He won he was in national championship games with four different quarterbacks. Belichick did everything with one guy, and if he doesn't, so I think it's I think it's genuine to ask how long would he have been with the Patriots if Tom Brady wasn't his quarterback? You know, it's I think that's a that's a real answer. I think the fact that. I think the fact that Brady, and I don't even know if this is what you're asking about, but just when it comes specifically to Belichick, the fact that Brady went and won a Super Bowl, meanwhile Belichick got worse and worse and worse without him to the point that they almost had the number one pick in the draft his last year, I can tell you as a Falcons fan, I wasn't fired up about the prospect of him being the coach. You know, is he going to bring back 31-year-old Tom Brady? Then yeah, come on, if he's bringing him with him. But other than that, I, you know, without a good quarterback in the NFL, doesn't matter. You're just you are what you are, and he's had bad quarterback play. He's not a miracle worker. He's not a savant necessarily that can go win with just average dudes. He has to have, uh, he had to have one of the best of all time. And then it was like it's like the Phil Jackson argument, right? Like how good a coach was Phil Jackson? Obviously incredible. But he won uh, he won world championships with Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan. Kobe and Shaq, you know, he didn't go and win them with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. <laughs> Future Laker, hopefully Capella. DeJounte Murray. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't win anything with Capella and Jalen Johnson. He was, and when he did have teams like that, he struggled. So, you know, I, I think the legacy with Belichick is going to be unique. He's still considered one of the best that's ever done it. But the way his last four or five seasons went compared to what Brady did after he left him, I think I think you know it it diminishes it a little bit, right? Yeah, but you say he's thought of as the, I don't think he's thought of as one of the best. I think he is. He is. Oh, sure, he is. I mean, it's like Chuck Knoll. I, you know, he won four Super Bowls, but he had great Hall of Fame players with him. I, I like, who's the a, best coach? I think it's Belichick. I, I, and I don't like Belichick at all. I don't like the Patriots at all. I hated that dynasty. I rooted against them every single corner I possibly could. But how can you argue against it? I don't, maybe, oh, no, I wasn't. I, I was saying I, you're not, I, thought just, you were, I thought you were arguing against No, I'm saying he is you by far the best NFL head coach ever. I he's just, the most accomplished. Absolutely, yeah. You know what I mean? Like LeBron, LeBron will end his career as the most accomplished NBA player of all time. LeBron will have the best NBA career of all time. Best resume. He already has. Yeah, yeah I, wouldn't know, I don't know if I'd say he's the best. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Like I'm a Niners it, guy. Like I, I, you know, Bill Walsh was probably more innovative and had more of an yeah. impact on the way that the game of football was played than Bill Belichick has. But Bill Belichick's got more rings, man. So like, it's hard for me to argue. Like I argued Montana was better than Brady. I think up until 
like after the Falcons Super Bowl, and I'm like, all right, man, like, I'm I'm done. I'm cooked. I just don't have it anymore. Yeah, like you know, yeah, Brady's Brady's great. Uh, yeah, yeah, Brady's Brady's the best that's ever done it. We'll see where Mahomes ends up, but right now Brady is the best that's ever done it. Although you could say, what I've watched them both, Mahomes and Tom and Tom Brady at their peak, and Joe I Montana. Yeah, I think Mahomes is the best I've ever seen. But I still, you know, obviously, Brady is the best that's ever done it because he's won the Super more accomplished. Bowls. He went to, Matt, more Mahomes accomplished, is more talented. Brady's more, yeah. yeah. But probably right. Um, and we we're recording this before we see what Mahomes did against the Ravens. I hope he didn't throw five picks. Uh, still doesn't change really it. Doesn't it doesn't, but it's not the right time to say that I think Mahomes <laughs> is better than more talented than Brady if he threw five picks against the Ravens. But uh, yeah, so legacy. Yeah, I get what you're saying with legacy. You know, talk of making a Florida State specific. What was Jimbo without Jameis? But that that's the that's the uh you know, that's what they point to, right, when it came to Jimbo. It's like yeah. he never won anything without Jameis. Well, Jameis didn't win that it wasn't one on eleven. Like, look at the te- guys that were on that team. And if Jacob Coker had been the quarterback on that team, they don't beat Auburn, but they probably win the rest of them. Yeah. You know, it what he he put together such a great team that the superstar quarterback just put him over the top. And so with Belichick especially there in, like, the start of it. The last two years, even when they were getting to the Super Bowl or winning it, it felt like it was a lot of just Brady's a magician. Yeah. He he hides a lot of flaws. But Belichick was great at building a roster. He was great at keeping a good defense together, like getting maximum value for players. He was exceptional at that. And then he got to the point where he just traded every draft pick he ever had, which was weird. He kept trading down and trading down and trading down. It's like he didn't even like the draft. Um, and now, you know, New England is what New England is. But, yeah, man, I I, I think I think legacy is always uh, – I, I think with hindsight, legacy always comes back to the peak. Um, like Willie Mays ended his career with the Mets. Hank Aaron ended his career with the Brewers. Uh, I think Joe Namath was with the Chargers. Like they all yeah. – we don't remember – as we get further and further away, we, we don't remember the awful down years. Right. Like Dominique played for five teams after the Hawks. I just remember him windmill dunking mm-hmm. in 1988. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the that's the that's his legacy to me. That's the picture in my mind that sticks with me. Hey, and speaking of basketball, um, real quick before we before you talk to Langston, I like the way the Knolls played on Saturday, man. I I they're they are an enjoyable team to watch. I know it's frustrating that they lose, um, but man, that North Carolina team is really really good, and you made them fight like hell to beat you. You fought back twice after getting down by 10 points in both halves um, to take the lead in the first half and then come really close to taking the lead again in the final couple of minutes in the second half. I just th- This team is likable because they do play really, really hard. And that's I know that's a dumb thing to praise when they're college athletes. You're supposed to play hard. But we saw what it was like the last two years when they didn't. Um, this team really does play hard. They don't have a lot of shot makers, which is problematic in basketball, but they play hard defensively and they fight. And that's a really good thing to have in your culture and in your DNA. But And that had been missing for about two and a half years. Yeah, I tried to dial in for the second half. I'm, like, right, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to focus so I can intelligently talk about this on the podcast with Corey. And and I, I watch the Lakers like Warriors game pretty much start to finish too. It's just, mm. man, it's just so hard to really, I mean, it just comes down to like, you know, they didn't make your shots and I hate talking about uh, boiling. And I'm all about distilling things down to its most basic component, but like, I, I don't want to sit here every single time we have a basketball game. Like, well, no, so they make their shots, 
But it is crazy to me that like they've got R.J. Davis, they've got shot makers, they've got guys that can create their yeah. own shot and offense. North Carolina, Florida State seemingly has none of that, but is able to go toe to toe with North Carolina. So does it really? Is it just come back to the fact that they they just they do play hard, so they're just able to to find ways to you know crash yeah, the they, boards and and get put back points. It just it's crazy to me. I I, I can't. They turn you over. They're really good at turning you over. They got guys that. Uh, that get into passing lanes, deflect, steal, all that. They got called for way too many fouls, and most of them were earned. Some of them were not. I thought the problem was they didn't get the calls on the other end. You know, because Florida State does attack the basket, and they shoot a lot of free throws typically, and they only shot 11 in that game, and I think Florida or North Carolina shot 25 or so. 24. Um, yeah, and the last four were Davis at the end of the game. So it was like it was a 20 to 11 uh, disparity, which I didn't think – I thought it should have been a little more even because it wasn't like Florida State was shooting a bunch of fadeaways. They were attacking the basket and getting into the paint. They just weren't – they weren't getting the calls. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they – you know, the, North Carolina had a guy late who, who struggled for a good portion of that second half, I thought. But he had a guy – they had a guy late that went and made a play. Florida State has a guy co- – Kind of like that. They have two. They have Watkins, um, who can get into the paint and get a shot off and can can play really well at times. He was horrible in that game, I thought. He was, I think, 3 of 12 and had six turnovers. Um, he was not very good at all, especially compared to what he did against Syracuse. But he's a guy that can get you a bucket when you, when you need one. And Spears is a guy that can at least get you a decent shot. He's not going to make more than he misses. He's going to always miss more than he – makes but he can get hot and he can get you if the if the if the possession is winding down he can free himself up for a makeable shot um all the other ones yeah they're not you know they don't have a post presence bob is still learning and growing he didn't play well in that game either he played well defensively at the end though he was critical at the end defensively but yeah they and it's fun when you funny when you look at the roster they have the only guy they lose off this team is darren green and you're like, oh man, the way they're playing right now, the last month, you're like, man, they're not gonna, they're probably not gonna make the turn. They needed this win to get to the tournament. There, there, there aren't enough. You know, they're not gonna win the next eleven games. But even if they went eight and three in the next eleven, which is a tall ask in the ACC, they're not gonna be big enough wins, I don't think, to overcome the start of the season. So they probably won't get in the tournament. But they bring back, they could potentially bring back their entire roster except for Darren Green, which is, like, great. You're like, man, this they're building something. They, I really do like some of the parts that they have here. They have a lot of different dudes that can do some different things. They got nobody that can shoot. Uh, Darren Green can shoot. Uh, nobody else can. Watkins made a couple threes. Primo made, a, uh, I think, a couple of threes. But their numbers have been really bad all year from three. Worley doesn't even shoot them. Mm. Um, so Chandler Jackson doesn't shoot much. Their guards aren't guys. Their guards and wings – in this in this era of college basketball, you've got to be able to make some threes, and that's why North Carolina won that game. They had um, Davis made a couple, I think. The Ryan kid made three in the second half. The Ingram kid, who had 17 rebounds, also made three three pointers. They have different guys that, and they shoot well. Typically, they're good shooters on the season. They didn't just get hot for this game. Uh, Florida State doesn't have that, and that's the one thing they're missing. But man, they they're not missing a lot else. They, you know, they, they do play hard. They play for each other. They do typically do a good job rebounding. North Carolina and Clemson are bad matchups for them. Those guys are big and physical. Florida State doesn't have that. But they, they really do. They scramble. They contest. They get out and run. They just don't knock down shots at the rate to be a to be an elite team. But maybe go get a couple guys next year, Leonard, and next year could be uh, really special. Oh, he's going to come back? 
Oh, I, th- I think, yeah, that's one thing that I think has, I mean, unless it falls off the rails, which I just, again, I don't, the, the, the stuff they do well isn't stuff that typically slumps. Like, yeah. a good shooting teams might go a week or two where they can't make any shots and they're going to lose. Well, Florida State doesn't make shots anyway. <laughs> so if they, you know what I mean? So that's not something that will fall off a cliff. They win despite their shooting. So I think the, the fact that they do typically uh, do a pretty good job on the offensive glass, they, they create a lot of turnovers, they play good defense, they get out, they get points, they're balanced scoring, that stuff doesn't slump. So I, I do feel like they're going to go, they're going to win, I don't know, they got 11 games left. I think th- they're going to win at least six of them, which gets them to 18 wins. In the way they played these this last month, it's not hopeless. Man, I am telling you, that Lipscomb game, following the last two years that we had seen, I thought it was hopeless and pointless, quite frankly. But now I see some building. I, I really do see some stuff that you like. They just hung with North Carolina. I think UConn's the best team in the country. I think North Carolina might be the second best team in the country. And Florida State was within two points of them with the ball twice in the final two minutes on Saturday, despite not playing all that well. Mm. They were within two points of North Carolina um, with the ball twice, and then Watkins missed a wide-open three on a great look from Baba that would have given them the lead, and then Primo dribbled out of bounds. And then they didn't, you know, then R.J. made the shot he made, and that was ball game. But, yeah, like, you know, their two losses or their two losses during the stretch were to Clemson and North Carolina. They have three losses in the ACC, one to Clemson, the other two to North Carolina, who might be the second-best or second-best team in the country. So no shame there. If they can beat the teams they're supposed to beat, yeah, they could have a nice uh, 18, 19, 21 season. I just don't think it'll be enough to get in the tournament because I don't think there's enough great ACC teams out there that would boost the resume to get them there. That's fair. But um, TeamRankings.com has Florida State a 62.5% shot of making the tournament. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. I mean, they, who are they? I but guess I they get Duke. To your point, though, I guess like that Duke game then? I mean, so they yeah. – I don't want to. They got Louisville, who is just an absolute horror show. Um, yeah. BC, Virginia at home. That could be That's a quality. toughie. Yeah. It's a toughie, though. Yeah, yeah it's is, a real it tough is. one. Virginia Tech on the road. Duke yeah. at home on the 17th of February. Mm. Boston College at home. Then you're at Clemson. Home against NC State. On the road against Georgia Tech and Pitt. And then you finish off at home against Miami. So I mean, if, yeah, if I you mean, win, are... if you win three of those four, I guess like the Virginia Duke Clemson Miami game, right? Like if you win three of those, three or four of those, and then I don't know what what what's the remaining number? Like six out of the other eight. That's probably too yeah, big maybe there. yeah. I mean, I just you know the 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 margin for error isn't big enough for this team to assume they're gonna just like roll into Boston College and win comfortably, right? Or beat Pitt. Like th- those are all gonna are at Georgia Tech. Like all those games could be coin flip games or worse. Yeah. Um, just to, like I said, they're not. They don't. You don't know what you're gonna get shooting wise, but they're gonna they're gonna be in those games. Almost all of them, right? Right. Last year they would go on the road, and it was a 50-50 chance that they would be down twenty in the first half. You know what I mean? Like we, it's hard to it, like watching this team. It's hard to realize how much, even though they're only twelve and eight. What they were last year was so bad. It wasn't just the record. It was the competitiveness. Like, they're at NC State. I think it was last year or the year before. And I feel like they're down 40 to 11. In North Carolina a couple years ago, it was like 50 to 9. Just ridiculous, just embarrassing, humiliating scores and efforts. 
And a lot of that is addition by subtraction. There's guys that aren't on the team anymore uh, that were a problem. But man, they they will fight. They're almost going to be. They're going to be in a lot of games. They're not fun to play. Last year they were very fun to play. Teams couldn't wait to play Florida State. This is going to be awesome. How many you want tonight? Uh, they're not. They're not like that anymore. They do play hard, which is good. You want to talk about legacy? That would have been awful for Leonard's last team teams to look like they did the last two years. That's not Leonard Hamilton, man. That's not who his teams are. That's not who he is as a person. This team is more who Leonard Hamilton is as a person. And next year's team, assuming he's back, um, will be more, I think, more like who he is as a person, which that's why you want. I mean, he's, I'm only talking about him retiring or leaving. He's, he's 75 years old, so it's going to happen soon. And he's also got to make a presidential run in 2028. <laughs> He'll be right at that perfect age to yep. run this country. Um, so so he will be retiring soon. I, I just I'm happy that – Man, this this team fights. They don't. They're not a great defensive team, but gosh, they try. And that's not something you could say the last couple of years. And what if you want to see a team that doesn't compete, like Aslan said, go watch Louisville. <laughs> that is a testament to what they think of their coach. And this team respects their coach. This Florida State team respects Leonard Hamilton and plays hard for him at least. All right, let's talk recruiting with Michael Langston. But first, MyBookie, mybookie.ag, promo code WARCHANT. You use that when you sign up for the first time. You get an instant cash deposit bonus. Super Bowl is set, everybody. This whole show was set for a while. Uh, and then I had to come back and re-record this part because you poor Lions fans, I don't know how, uh, but you found a way to squander that 17-point halftime lead. Uh, had the whole thing recorded. Oh, we got a Lions Chiefs Super Bowl. Midwest, let's go stand up. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, we get the Chiefs against the Niners again. So uh, bet on that as you wish. Not the only the game, the over-under on it, but props, 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 props. Color of Gatorade on the winning coach. How long the national anthem is. All that kind of stuff. All available over at mybookie.ag. And let us all rejoice maybe that we get Taylor Swift again. I can't wait. I hope it's like 48-45 Niners win. But Kelsey catches four touchdowns, so we can just see all the shots of her in the press box. Or rather, the, the luxury box. And I'm being sincere. And if anybody slanders her, you are no friend of mine, nor the shows. MyBookie.ag, again, that promo code is WARCHANT. Promo requires $50 minimum deposit and rollover requirement of one-time your deposit total, including your bonus for withdrawal. For full terms and conditions, visit MyBookie.ag slash about-us. Michael Langson, crudding right after this. Ah, mm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Wake up war chant. Also, a standalone video on YouTube. If you're listening to Wake Up War Chant, we told you earlier that we're going to have Michael Langston on to hang out. There he is. You're watching the video. His voice about to hit your uh, your eardrums here in a second. Michael, what should folks do if they're listening or watching on YouTube for this show? Oh, always hit the, the like button. That's, that's certainly it's free. It's easy. Uh, promotes our shows. Uh, promotes everything. Promotes this show. Uh, so definitely hit the like button. Absolutely. All right, man. Uh, junior week or junior day part due, uh, <laughs> reloaded. Uh, lots of big-time talent on campus. 
Uh, let's start off with somebody who's already in the boat for the Knowles, and that would be a sizable young man from Jacksonville, Florida. Reigns High School, 6'4", 315 is what he's listed as. Solomon Thomas, four-star composite, number six tackle in the entire nation for the 2025 cycle. Uh, he's already committed, uh, but it's always, you know, touch and go. Apparently, I don't know if there was rumor that he was down in Gainesville last weekend or whatnot, but right. being in Tallahassee, what did that mean for the Knowles' chances? And did that firm things up a little bit, do you think? I think it was a big deal just having him there because you want him uh, after you visit a school that, you know, like Florida or, you know, in these other schools are trying to still work on Solomon. He was there for three days. He actually got there um, early, I want to say like Thursday. Um, say visit Thursday spent a lot of time with the players um that was mainly the the main thing they were doing and then Friday I think um they watched uh he watched the tour duty got the experience a lot of different things of what he 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 goes to uh if he's a when he's a player there and and then Saturday was more of the junior day stuff he went to the hoops game a little bit watched kind of exciting atmosphere so I think it was I think it was great I think it was perfect of everything he was looking for um there's I, I am I am completely confident that um you know where FSU sits on, on this commitment I think they sit in a really good spot um I think the only visit he said when he talked to our uh, Ben Spicer as far as um after the the junior day he said the only visit he has is official visit to FSU so I think they they feel really good and I feel really good about where they sit I think this weekend only solidified that of of his feelings about Alex Atkins the offense the players, the connection he has with FSU is just uh, very unique and special. And I think uh, they did a lot just uh, if there needed to be something to solidify, I guess they, they handled that. But I, I think uh, they're in a, a very good spot with that commitment. Uh, the video that we're playing is his sophomore season highlights. So he's only grown and gotten bigger since then. Is he, you know, Corey and I talked about on the podcast, but there just hasn't been a really great track record so far of, of this staff getting kids from high school and then turning them around into becoming contributors on the offensive line. Does he seem to be one of the more physically well put together guys that not saying he has a chance day one, but just probably has less of a chance of, of, of going under and being, I don't want to say the, the B word bust, but just he's more built to, to be a contributor probably at the next level. Yeah, I think he'll be a contributor pretty early uh, with his skill set. His his body frame looks really good uh, as far as what you want from an interior guy. I think um, I think really with high school kids, it's it's kind of a wait and see of of how long it takes them to develop. I've heard a lot of positive things about Jalen Early as well, guy they they've been they they certainly have developed. So I think there's some in there that will do well, but I think he does fit the kind of size and frame that you're looking for and explosive ability as a blocker that that could come in there and help you early let's keep it on the trenches people were asking last recruiting chat that we did live on youtube what's going on with recruiting in the dmv huh what's going on recruiting in the dmv <laughs> uh, maybe they were talking about virginia specifically uh, he's from baltimore maryland but trent wilson another just properly looking uh recruit if you will in terms of filling out that size speed sort of combination uh, another consensus four star number nine overall defensive lineman in the country so another top 10 prospect uh, right. as well as thomas six three two sixty out of henry wise high school in baltimore maryland what was florida state trying to get done on this visit uh, and were they able to get those boxes checked off michael yeah i think they did a really good job on this visit this was one that we've we heard a lot about i think he was there for uh I want to say he got there, you know, did, it was kind of a day and a half type of visit. It wasn't just junior day. 
Um, so he spent a lot of time around the staff, really praised the Odell as I expected he would, but also just the connection with the, with the team and, uh, and just the, the players and the coaches, I think really resonated with, with Trent. Uh, Trent was looking kind of for, I mean, development's a big deal to him. Um, certainly why Penn State is pretty high on his list. I think FSU is very high as well. Now after this trip, uh, going on this visit, I was thinking like, you know, probably Penn State is the team that I hear hear the most about. But then after the visit, I heard a lot of stuff about FSU and a lot of positivity, a positive feedback of kind of where FSU feels like they sit after this visit. I think they did a lot. Of, I think they made a good surge uh, in this recruitment. I think certainly you're going to have to get them on campus more. Um, certainly that's something we'll, we'll keep an eye on. But Assuming they do that, I think uh, this first impression was really strong by FSU. I think this was it's kind of what you're looking for in that first impression to really uh, – We I saw this last year with another DMB guy of what they did with D.D. Holmes when he visited early. It just kind of got this – you got the same kind of a feeling of, of a connection that's unique uh, with FSU compared to the other places he's been. And this is kind of a visit he's been coveting to taking. Uh, so uh, there was a lot of lot – of, at stake as far as if the visit would match what he was hoping. And I think it exceeded kind of what, what he expected as far as FSU. And um, I certainly think they, they've now put them into as, as a, as a major candidate and a major threat in this recruitment. Penn state, one of the other teams you think that's uh, probably most instrumental in his. Uh... Yeah. I think Penn state's up there. I think uh, Florida's another team that he visited. I think there's, there's other schools, but Penn state for me is probably the bigger threat that I hear out of other those teams. But, uh, I think FSU made a strong move uh, today. Hey, uh, last year there was a really good tight end from the state of Georgia. He was committed to the Dogs, who, who, who. But then was like, nah, I'm good. I'm gonna go in Tallahassee. <laughs> Will history repeat itself? Uh, Elias Williams, the number one tight end in the entire country for 2025 from Camden County, six seven, two hundred thirty five pounds. Uh, currently committed to the dogs, Michael, but that RPM thing's got the Knowles as the uh, the odds-on fair as we sit here and talk in the end of January. Um, he's been the campus a lot, man. What you know when they keep coming back, that's obviously a good sign. What kind of things uh, does the staff want to get done when a guy does keep showing up all the time? Try to keep things fresh, or just try to stay consistent and improve this to where he belongs. I think really uh, the kids know what you are, what your program is, uh, what your product is. I think it's just stay, the thing you said before, uh, the latter, is stay consistent, stay what you are. I think the one thing, Elias, which that's how you pronounce his name. I know it looks like Elise, but it's actually Elias. That's how you pronounce his name. But I think uh, the main thing is um, what he, why he keeps coming back is is the connection, the relationships that away from football. And it's not just because let's face it. I mean, I'm sure every school tells him, you know, whether it's FSU or any other place he visits that. You know, you're you're a great talent. You're you're an amazing, uh, you know, tight end prospect. And so <clears throat> I think with FSU, they've done a great job of showing them a different side of, of what makes you unique. And if you're going to pull off these flips, we saw this with Landon. It, it gives me kind of similar Landon Thomas vibes of Landon kind of sound the same way of, of it's more than just, you know, just you know, the X's and O's and what you can do on a football field or or what the school can give you as, uh, from a football field. But it's also, how do you connect with these guys? Can you feel, can you see yourself there if you weren't playing football? And I think uh, that's a big reason why Elias keeps coming back. He's very comfortable there. It's very relaxed. Heard the same thing out of Landon a year ago. Now, 
it'll be a little tougher because Landon grew up an FSU fan. Uh, Landon's also only 40 minutes away. Camden's probably, I'd say, four and a half hours or something like that. So, you know, the distance isn't as, as logical, and he didn't grow up a fan, but there's something that keeps bringing him back. This kid's visited FSU, like, I think four times last year. Um, he's already said he's coming back for our spring practice. He's definitely going to officially visit FSU. FSU was the only team that he mentioned that he definitely would officially visit. Didn't even mention Georgia. Um, so I, I think it says a lot about, you know, what they're doing, how they're chipping away in this recruitment. And it's certainly uh, one that the more you get them on campus, the more uh, the chances uh, with FSU increase. And I think certainly they're a valuable threat and a strong threat in, in this race. Um, I don't think it's as cut and dry like it was with Landon. But I think uh, they're certainly chipping away, and, and certainly they are a school that uh, he told me, uh, Elias told me personally, like there's a unique uh, connection and relationship with FSU that that isn't there with a lot of other schools uh, as far as um, just how he feels around the staff. He knows a lot of the staff. He's around Alex Atkins a lot. He's around, obviously, Chris Thompson. That's that's the tight end coach. And then certainly Mike Norvell. And um, so it, it's a combination of relationships with everybody. So it's certainly uh, having a pivotal uh, point in this recruitment of how, having FSU certainly trending in, in, in a possible way to, uh, you know, potentially do it again. What do they got to do? You think to land the plane though, ultimately, Michael, I mean, we know, you know, we can talk about momentum and guys being maybe flipping in August, but ultimately you want December to, to be the, you know, the end game really for you. Uh, I guess, you know, what are your feelings on it? What do you think? This, does the staff have a pretty good idea what they have to do to make sure uh, they pull it off in the end? Yeah, I kind of asked the last, what what else would you be looking for? And, you know, he just mentioned, uh, I really loved what I saw from them last year. Um, I want to see, I think it's more consistency of what they did on the field. Uh, I think if they continue to do that, I mean, I think the relationships are so strong. That part is done. I think it's really just showing a vibe of, can this team be in a consistent top five program for a long haul? You know, is it, is it, is it a three-year window or a two-year window? I guess what they did the last two years, or is it a, a situation where FSU is going to be top five again uh, or top 10? And I think if they do that on the field, it's going to have a, a strong effect in this recruitment. So if you're going to talk about landing the plane, I think that would potentially, you know, fall into that category of landing the plane. Going to mix it up on you here, uh, change the plans of what we're going to talk about, Michael. But there's some receivers that are out there. You should go to the PRB, everybody. Be a member of Warchant.com. You can go check out all this stuff in written form, easy to digest. You don't have to sit through 10 minutes of me blabbering to poor Michael. <laughs> um, but you know, we're talking about elite prospects right there, right? Thomas, top 10 offensive lineman. Right. Wilson, top 10 defensive lineman. Elias Williams, number one tight end in the entire country. Then, you know, we see a three-star. We're like, ah, you know, what's going on? The three-star there. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Laganza Hayward. Uh, he's okay. a defensive back, 6'1", 196 out of Lyons, Georgia. You know, the, the teams on the screen don't look great. Georgia Southern, South right. Carolina, Florida, UCF. Um, doesn't even have a star ranking in our network right now, but uh, I don't want to call him the next Shaheen, but what are some of the good vibes? Maybe not so much about what Laganza felt when he was on campus, but maybe what you're hearing about uh, the way he's being evaluated uh, that makes you feel good about his, uh, you know, worthiness to be a part of this 2024 class if, uh, or 25 class rather, if everything works out. Yeah. I mean, he is uh, first off off the hoof. When you look at this kid, I mean, he is stacked, you know, for a DB. I mean, he looks really impressive. Uh, the height and the weight checks out. 
uh, as far as me seeing him in person. I mean, he is he has those broad shoulders, the physicality you look for, the strength, you know, the frame that you look for um, as a DB. And, and he's a guy that can play either safety or corner. Um, I think uh, those teams you see on there will change greatly, in my opinion. I think this kid's a, a, a gym, and, and I know uh, based on the people I talk to from my FSU circles, this is a guy that they are very high on. Like, they are very high on. They offered him, um, you know, either during the junior day or afterwards. A tremendous athlete, can do a lot of different things. They don't even know. I don't even know if FSU knows – the exact position they like him, but I think for me is the instincts, the the be uh, able to his ball skills, just uh, jump off the charts to me when I watch and I studied his film the night before uh, the junior day. I just I just really like what I see, and I think certain uh, uh, is really high on this kid. Um, that's that's kind of the perception I get. Uh, doesn't mind to strike you. Doesn't mind to strike you as a safety, but also you can put him at corner and he and he can certainly make plays, and then. And then as an athlete, he just makes plays. I mean, you can put him at receiver as we watch some of these clips. He's just uh, he's just one of those guys that's what you call just a playmaker. So I think he's one of those guys that we will see blow up as the season goes on as far as rankings and teams and schools involved. Uh, FSU's a dream school, so that was one of you know the dreams as far as uh, landing this offer. So that was certainly very pivotal um, to getting an offer this early and getting on him um, – before this thing blows up and FSU does a really good job with that stuff. I mean, we've seen that over the years where they're in there before anybody and it really, uh, it helps them win out late, late in processes of recruiting. And, and I think this is another one that that is going to be very high on their list. They also had Caden Gordon who also visited. He's a talented corner, a cornerback, um, 20, I think 25 class as well. He's a guy that I do think there's a possible pursuit there. You'll see, but Laganza was the one that I heard, the most buzz about uh, there's just a lot of uh, excitement around his game uh, in, in regards to the push from FSU. Yeah, man, that was good film, right? That was, that was physical. That was fast. Yeah. That was yeah. Finding out where the ball was and triggering downhill really quickly. Yeah. So, all right. Maybe no stars, but keep an eye on that one. Everybody good stuff yeah. right there from Michael. All right. There's plenty more over at the PRB, right? Michael, this is just the tip of the iceberg, huh? Oh yeah. We got tons of stuff. I did a wrap on, on Saturday night. Um, people can look at it. I go through all the prospects that I'm hearing and what, what, how the visits went. This is just a you know small tip of the iceberg of stuff that we covered. Um, certainly I still have, uh, I think we just recently posted the story on the two receivers that visited Derek Smith, Quincy Porter. You can read all about that. It's on our front page. Um, so, so go check that out. And then also you have another junior day, uh, this weekend, the final one, I think, uh, in the spring. Uh, and then, um, you know, it's going to be some very talented prospects that'll be certainly in attendance for that one. And then, um, we still have the defensive side of the ball, my 2025 hot board that's coming up. So a lot going on guys, like a lot, lot stuff, uh, it's going to be popping in the next few days. When does Michael stop working? You wonder after next Every weekend. <laughs> yeah. Go have a date now with your lovely wife, Michael. We appreciate you taking time out and hanging out, man. No problem, buddy. And that is a wrap for the show. Thanks again to Michael for his recruiting insight. Uh, Corey will be uh, working on an interview with Coach Lonnie Alameda. So be on the lookout for that later this week over on uh, War Champ, probably the YouTube channel, uh, and most certainly within these four walls that we call Wake Up War Chant. Lots going on recruiting-wise. Michael only talking about a little bit of it, so head over to the PRB to get the latest on all things recruiting. 
Also, tomorrow, we will get to speak to four newcomers. So this will be fun. We'll get Malik Benson, Devontae Brown, not and just like not wake up or chant, which it should be really right. You know, again, we talked about it. There's there's different kinds of people, different kinds of audience size. Ours is pretty good. Uh, but nonetheless, everybody will be able to get a hold of them, which is cool. That's fine. Not complaining. Just just having some jokes on a Monday, everybody. But tomorrow we'll get to speak to Malik Benson, Devontae Brown. He's the safety from Miami. Benson's a wide receiver from Alabama, number one JUCO receiver uh, that Alabama had last year. We'll get Jalen Brown. He was the top 100 receiver from Miami that went to LSU. And then we'll get, I guess he's TJ Ferguson. I thought it was Terrence Ferguson, but it's, it's TJ Ferguson. And he is from Alabama, as we all know. So we'll speak to those four young men on Tuesday. We'll have all those interviews up on the website as well. And one other piece of housekeeping before we leave. Uh, Jacob Rizzi actually has two years. I should have uh, known that. He redshirted his first year. He only played like two games. Uh, The last two years, he started every single game for Harvard. Harvard. So he actually does have two years remaining. Just want to let you know. We know. Delete the comment. Speaking bad about us now, please. Again, for Michael and Corey, I'm Aslan. Thank you for listening to this edition of Wake Up War Champ presented by Corner Pocket Bar and Grill. Jeff Cameron Show, 1 to 3 o'clock. Check it out.